Our job as an entrepreneur is to have that vision and then let everything break against us in the sense that you're going to have this ideas and all this input coming in. Your job is to winnow all that out and get to the essence of what is going to further your personal vision. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. Hey, Gavin here. Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Great to have you here again. Maceo Jordan, a serial entrepreneur, is our guest today. Maceo has had an eclectic background from the US Army through to the world of entrepreneurialism, through to five years being a street preacher, to back into the world of entrepreneurship. He's done numerous startups and scaled and grown them. We have a conversation about trends around business insights and growth, around scaling, um, around PPC, around grabbing attention in your marketplace, about uh, the power of the trends that can, that can give energy to a system and an opportunity, around the content that you need to produce. Um, this is a far-reaching conversation. Uh, there was so much depth and so much great stuff shared by Maceo. I let the recording go. So this is a longer podcast than I would normally record because it's stacked with so much value. Um, it's one of those that I suggest you probably you know, listen to in a couple of settings, sittings, and you may well need to go back and listen to uh, some elements of it because it is packed with value. So straight into my conversation now with Maceo Jordan, serial entrepreneur. Hey, and welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. For those of you that have listened to the pod, this Business Mastermind podcast for some time, you'll know that I'm passionate about growing and scaling businesses. I'm passionate about strategy and particularly strategic trends, future trends um, in the world of business. And I just love the real life stories of entrepreneurs that have grown and scaled businesses and have done that even better, you know, more than once, several times. So today's guest is a real treat for us. Uh, Maceo Jordan uh, is our guest today. Maceo is a serial entrepreneur with over two decades of building businesses, creating great products, great marketing, and a real eclectic mix of real-world experiences from the U.S. Army to the cutthroat uh, world of electronic training. Um, so, Maceo, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thanks, Gavin. Great to be here. So share with us, share the listeners, some of your backstory, some of the earlier influences in your life, maybe in the military that have shaped you into the businessman you are today. Yeah, actually, I've got to go uh, about 10 years earlier than the military when I was about eight or nine years old. 
uh, you know, obviously by the grain of my beard, I'm not the, the typical technology guy. Uh, so it's delivering papers. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, a newspaper is, you know, paper that's physically delivered to your house. So anyway, uh, <laughs> going around the, the townhome community, I noticed these women had a little device hanging close to their window and it was a bird feeder. So I talked to them about, you know, why they had it there and, you know, what the way I would word it now is what benefit did they derive from it? And I concocted this little device. I think I read it in like Boy's Life or, you know, one of the kids' magazines, took a baby food jar with clothespins, rolled that in uh, peanut butter and then bird seed and voila, you've got a, a bird feeder, but it actually has seed and peanuts, you know, so the birds were, were far more active. Um, and so what I, I don't know why, but I came away from that experience with the idea that if I could find the buyer first, everything else would take care of itself. Uh, and so because I, I discovered that at such a foundational age, I have more time in practice with that, uh, which is, you know, one of my core tenets is that anytime you're looking to improve and you, you know, look at somebody in the world, whether it's me or someone who's actually famous, like a Tony Robbins or a Simon Sinek or a Gary Vaynerchuk, what we forget is those people have been working with, they've got more time with what they're talking about. And so for them, it's far more natural uh, and their execution uh, then is better. So anyway, that, that's where I got, I think my core business concepts that I was then able to utilize as, you know, of course my, my career and my journeys wove their way through uh, the story that, that will probably unfold as we're talking. And then um, why the military for you? You're obviously uh, in, in, in innately <laughs> entrepreneurial. So why the military? You know, there's, so there's something that, that I'm um, kind of building into my, my platform, if you will. What we've got to realize, even as people, is um, you know, we say no, no two people are the same, but we can get broad categories. When, when you look at the typical military person, you're thinking you know, very conservative, uh, even right wing. Uh, and then, you know, liberal and um, I guess left, I always, I always mix them up, um, is not military. But some of that has to do with personality traits, right? So I, I straddle this weird spectrum. On one hand, um, I'm very low on politeness, uh, which isn't please and thank you. It's more respect for authority. And that's very much like a Silicon Valley thing. I'm also really high in what's called trait openness or um, being open to new experience. Um, whereas on the other side, you know, where you've a more conservative mindset is more conscientious, which means you know, they're, they follow through on things and then less trait openness, which means it's like, hey, we need to make the donuts the same way every time. In a startup business, you've got to have the former, right? You need somebody that's open to new experience. They're not uh, so attached to doing things the same way, just for the sake of doing them the same way. But then as your business grows, you've got to have people on the team who intrinsically, like it's in them as a person, they're going to push to do things the same way. Uh, and so fortunately, because of my, my personality, the way I've been designed, uh, I can go from one to the other. Um, but really the, the military, I think was uh, more of that ideological strain of mine. Uh, I got enamored with the Green Berets for whatever reason. And I literally decided I'm going to join the military and become a Green Beret. Um, I 
had the, you know, the honor of going through the special forces selection. Uh, I made it, but I did not get selected, but it was really, uh, you know, striving to be that uh, cut above the rest, which I think does play a part in, in an entrepreneur, you know, as an entrepreneur, you've, you've got to have not only the, the desire, but you've got to have something in you that is willing to be different. You know, I want to word it like a cut above. And, you know, that, that doesn't play so well today in the, you know, the realm of extreme PC, but at the, at the end of the day, we're in a competitive world. And at the very least, you've got to think about it in the sense that your competition is going to outwork you. Right? So if you're willing to work five hours a day, you are going to fall victim to somebody that's working eight hours a day. And they're going to fall victim to somebody that's working 10 and then 12 and 16. So, you know, it, it, we don't have to think of it in the terms of like, you know, you're better than somebody else, but it, you definitely need to strive to figure out how you can gain a competitive advantage. And so in that regard, you know, entrepreneurs that are going to be successful do fall, unfortunately, into a few categories, uh, competitive sports, you know, so individuals that, um, you know, maybe they weren't, you know, number one or number two, but they were, they were in the competitive arena continuously. Um, and again, it's, it's more time using things, right, where you're able to look at your results objectively and say, okay, uh, I'll use weightlifting because I've, I've been a competitive weightlifter. But you say, all right, last year I was able to clean and jerk 220 kilos, uh, but my competition is clean and jerking 225. Okay, well, I better get to 225. Where, you know, unless, you, unless you're able to drive yourself to do that, it's going to be next to impossible to make it work in an entrepreneurial endeavor. Because the last I checked, neither the world nor your competition gives a rip at, you know, how great of a person you are. You know, they want to know what benefit are you delivering in terms of your customers? What benefit are you delivering? And are you able to give me more value than my other choices out there? So um, it was a bit of a, an outlier going into the military. My mom, very much liberal. She marched with Martin Luther King, uh, you know, from a very young age. I come from mixed parents. My dad's black. My mom was Jewish, um, but very active in the civil rights movement. And so I think I inherited some of that uh, we say counterculture vibe. So obviously I didn't last very long in the military. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and, but what did you get from that? I guess that, that desire, because you constantly being calibrated or pitched against peers, aren't you? So there's that need oh, to, yeah. to perform at your very best, to strive to do more, to continue to be able to do that. That obviously was inbred in you to meet and strive for ever increasing standards. Actually, it's, it's interesting. I just thought of it when you were talking. Um, it was that, but it was also that I, I performed in an environment that's objectively, meaning a third party can look in and say um, that if you perform well, then you know, you're, you're performing at a top tier level. And so I would say it's more that it, it provided that, right? So the military, of course, is famous for its standards, um, you know, it, where if you want to pass a school, whether it's, you know, airborne school where you learn to jump out of airplanes or it's some sort of special operations like Rangers or special forces or, you know, Delta Force, they have an objective standard. Everybody goes through the same experience. It's like, hey, you know, it's not the... There was a little bit of color your skin going on, but not as much as you would think. I mean, look, people are people. 
Um, and so as much as possible, they weed out uh, the things that people you know, rail against. So whether they call your skin or your religious beliefs or whatever, you know, it's, it literally is how do you perform and were you able to perform um, at, at, a, at a higher level compared to other people going through and other people from the past. So having said all that, it was really that I saw in that environment, I was able to do some amazing things. You know, going through special forces selection, um, you know, is a, a dawning experience, right? So I was a young guy at the time. I wasn't even 20 yet, which that was part of why I didn't get selected. You know, they like to have more, you know, just physically and, and emotionally mature people going through, sending you up to far-flung places to, you know, shoot people and blow stuff up. You definitely want somebody with some maturity. Uh, but watching, you know, these experienced soldiers just dropping like flies and, you know, some guys literally couldn't handle it psychologically. So that, it was more, it was more the effect of that. I didn't take it, you know, in an egotistical kind of way. It was like, well, wow, you know, I really can do this. And so after about two weeks, I remember there was one guy came from the Ranger Battalion. Uh, he had it out for me from day one. And the day he quit was like the best day for me, not in a like a schadenfreude kind of way, but thinking, whoa, here's a guy that has been a ranger for a long time and he's leaving and I'm not even thinking about quitting. So as an entrepreneur, you know, you, here's the thing, you can train that. And that's really the beauty of the military is they, they can show you, they can take somebody off the street with no experience and over time gradually put them into a place where they're doing things that they never thought were possible. And so from, from that regard, you know, you don't, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not here to recruit people in the military, but put you as, you know, sitting there at home, you can do that on your own. Um, especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, athletics, you can even do calisthenics. You can start with, uh, you know, hey, I can only do five pushups. Okay, well, track your progress and figure out how you can get to six and then seven and then 10. Prove to yourself that you really can go above and beyond and you'll find more often than not, that it really is there in you. And all the cliches that we hear really are true, which is if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're probably right. I love that, but that you're in an environment, a culture of constant improvement, aren't you? You're, you're in, you're, mm -hmm. there's an expectation from a peer group that you have yep. to achieve or meet. Um, just quite simply in that setting, it's, it's, it's a matter of life and death. Right. And, but you get exposed to that. And I think, uh, what have you taken away from that environment to enable you to keep maintain, pushing hard, keep standards up, even though you might not necessarily be surrounded by that, that within that culture? That's a great question. So obviously coming out of the military, you know, back into the civilian world, uh, in, in the first few years, I heard many, many times, hey, I'm saying, oh, this isn't the army. So there, there is a transition, right? Where you go from, a rigid hierarchy, and you said it, Gavin, when life and death are on the line, you don't even, you don't have conversations about hierarchy. It's like, you need to have somebody that's in charge and somebody that's not, period. Um, and so transitioning out of that was very difficult. I've got vestiges of it even today. Um, but so uh, I will say that it, it definitely instilled in me, not the opinion that we needed to have a high standard, but the reality of what happens when you don't have a high standard or you don't have any standards. And that's really my concern with uh, a lot of the younger people that I talk to today. They what they're really talking about 
is having no standards. Wow. And listen, I don't, I don't care what you're doing. You've got to have some sort of baseline where no matter what, performance will not fall below that level, uh, whether it's you know, in the product with customer service or anything. Uh, and so you know, this, this has nothing to do with hierarchy per se. It has to do with understanding, again, the competitive environment um, just globally. You know, there, there, are, there is no free lunch. So some of it was that um, yeah, I had been indoctrinated into that mindset. And so as I got out into the world where that mindset didn't matter so much, I had, uh, I'll call it automatic mental defenses, right? So that's one of the things that I think we, we don't consider as people is the, the value of, we'll call it brainwashing. Um, and I mean brainwashing in the sense that you're the rock against which everything else yields. And if you look at a Steve Jobs, you look at a Bill Gates, uh, you know, or, or even a Warren Buffett, Granted, you know, they were very much uh, dictator or totalitarians if you really look at how they ran their businesses. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, is a, a modern version of that. I mean, if you, if you talk to anybody that's worked with him directly, the last thing they're going to say, you know, is always very accommodating. Well, why is that? Well, because he's, he's got a vision, right? So our job as an entrepreneur is to have that vision and then let everything break against us in the sense that you're going to have this ideas and all this input coming in. Your job is to winnow all that out and get to the essence of what is going to further your personal vision. And then, of course, you as the entrepreneur need to have that feedback loop internally where you're, you're willing to let the marketplace dictate to you what needs to change, uh, not, not the people that are around you. Because look, opinions... Opinions are going to swing in the wind. What really matters is what, what does the marketplace tell you? Uh, and more specifically, what are the people that are giving you money tell you about what you're doing? Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. Share with us about your first sort of big entrepreneurial journey or your first business that you properly scaled and grew. Yeah, so well, we've got to jump forward. We've been in the early 90s. Now we've got to fast forward to uh, 2005. So I was in a trading room, uh, you know, for a, a long time. September 11th, uh, you know, really pulled capital out of little backwater markets like I'm in here in Arizona. Uh, so I had to do something. So of course, I became a street preacher. <laughs> so I was in the ministry for, you know, yeah, for I, I usually wow. get that, that reaction. So yeah, so I, for four or five years, uh, I was literally, you know, full-time ministry uh, and got into business around 2005. And of course, you know, what did you get from that? What did you get from that? So you've been in an environment earlier on in your, in your life or your career exposed to really high standard standards, competitive nature, the need to drive to basically overpower the competition. Yep. And then you go into something where and I might not be able to articulate this right, but you're almost giving up some of your power in service of 
That's right. a higher power. <laughs> wow. But so the, what fascinates me is the, the drawing of the threads together that make you who you are and what it did yeah, for you. Right. right. So the other, the other piece of my personality, my, my two extremes, one is on the politeness scale and the other is on compassion. Uh, so I, if you put 100 people in, in a room, I'm more compassionate than 98 of them. Uh, and I joke around with, with people that understand the big five personality traits. I was like, yeah, what's, what literally stops me from being a serial killer is that I've got that way overemphasized uh, compassion trait. And so that certainly was a way to just dive into uh, compassion and serving others. And, um, you know, almost like, a, you know, the pendulum swings. I went from special operations, entrepreneurship, hedge fund trading. That's like, whoop, right over to the I was going to say hedge fund trading in the ministry. Exactly. <laughs> well, so how did I get there? Um, Wall Street is not for the timid. And I remember having a conversation I was trying to get into to money center banking, which I won't go too far down this rabbit trail. Um, but in America, money is literally created, right? So there are a small number of money center banks, which are regulated by the Federal Reserve to create money out of thin air. Um, and I wanted to get into that because I wanted to be able to create money out of thin air. I make no bones about it. I mean, who wouldn't? Come on, that'd be awesome. And so I was having a conversation uh, with the guy. He was one of the, the last members of the Wrigley family. So goes way back, well-connected, everything that you would think about the quote-unquote elite. And he said, Maceo, I think that's a bad idea. Here, go talk to this guy. And it was a guy that had gotten out of that world and went into ministry. And we had a lengthy conversation about my beliefs, my worldview, um, and having already you know, been experienced with hedge funds and private equity and all that and seeing the underbelly and like what happens in the back offices, which would curl anybody's hair. Um, yeah, let me not go down that rabbit trail. That's when I, that's why I went all the way to the other side. I was like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Like there, there is no good out in this entire cornucopia of options. I mean, I even tried to go into wealth management uh, you know, but I asked just a few key questions and, you know, it's really just about them getting all of your money in house. They don't care about your returns. They literally just want assets under management because they make what's called the float. So if they have $500 billion under management, uh, they make a percentage on that, whether you make money or not. And so I, once I realized, wow, there's really no, there's no good here. That, that was the trigger that really sent me, you know, into the ministry. So that's, you know, that uh, was kind of a, a snapback realization. And for years, you know, I was, I would pray and think, you know, God, what do you want me to do with my life? You know, I'll, I'll scrub toilets. I'll keep doing this. I kept getting drawn back into business. It's, you know, it's definitely where I've, I've got skills and talents and abilities. So 2005, uh, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go do this. And if this is what you want me to do, it's going to be successful. And so that was my, my arbiter was the success uh, itself. And so the, the first company I started uh, was not what you would think. It was uh, a sewing product. So back then, of course, information, yeah, information products. Oh, it's almost every new chapter. You, I raised my eyebrows in genuine <laughs> surprise and a total, uh, uh, what was the, I can't even think of the adjective. I, I'm surprised, but I'm curious. I'm fascinated by almost the different neural pathways that are created here. So um, my mom was an heirloom seamstress and I figured, okay, I can get a course and, you know, I'll develop it. And um, 
I've, I've got a tendency to find the teacher's teacher. Uh, that, and that's a byproduct of martial arts and, uh, you know, wanting to know, okay, well, where did you get that technique from? Uh, did you just make it up or, you know, is that from somewhere? So I've always tracked that down, but it's also because I want to know where people get their either opinions from, or if they're stating it as a fact, is it really a fact or is it opinion masquerading as fact? And again, that goes back to the world of trading. Um, there, you know, there, just like there are no atheists in foxholes, there are no opinions on the trading desk in the sense of the people that make money really don't have an opinion. If you ask them where the market was going, they're going to tell you up, down, or sideways. It's kind of a running joke. Because if you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, you just told me the only three possibilities possible. Well, yeah, because as soon as you have an opinion, the way our brains are designed is um, we will start to filter reality based on belief and based on opinion, but also based on outcome. What modern uh, neuroscience is proving to us is that um, we are outcome-based machines and you can't separate our desired outcome from our psychology as much as we would like to. So the second you decide on an outcome, the second you form a belief, our brains are designed to filter or screen out information because it's painful when we get information that's contrary to opinions or belief. Um, and so that's from, from a trading perspective, you understand that danger uh, intimately because if you think the market's going to go up and you have the opinion, you say, oh, the market's going up. That's how you, know, you would express that. You're going to continue, to, you're going to let the market go down and you're going to lose a lot of money. So you either get that beat, beaten out of you is the way we would describe it in the marketplace. Or fortunately, like I, because I had mentors, I didn't have to have it beaten out of me so much. It's like it was a couple of times that happened to me. I asked my mentors about it and they're like, oh, well, you had an opinion. I said, oh, okay, I guess I shouldn't have an opinion. So I set about training myself to not have opinions. So why did I start a sewing product? Because who knows what's going to be successful? You know, the, the thing that we know about the market, and this applies to the stock market, it applies to business, is that trends will happen. We just don't know when and we don't know how long they're going to be. So why sewing? I had somebody that knew how to do it. I had the marketing knowledge. And so for me, I was like, well, let's go ahead and try that. It could be just as successful as something else. And so back then, of course, you know, ministers are so highly paid, right? You know, no, obviously I was totally broke, uh, you know, living literally hand to mouth. Uh, went to my, my stepdad and said, hey, I need $25,000 to start a business. Uh, actually, it was better than that. I went to my mom <laughs> and, you know, worked my mom. Uh, like all good, good son, you know, only children will. And so she told my dad, you need to, you know, write my sale check for 25,000. So I get this money um, and immediately whittled it down to five grand because, you know, we were eating off of it, you know, I had to pay our bills plus get this business going. Um, but I was still just going through the different ideas. And, uh, you know, obviously back in 2004 or five, the internet was nowhere near where it is today. Mm. Uh, so I was still going to the physical library to, to get information. Well, there's this little known resource in the library called the SRDS, Standard Rate and Data Service. And it tells you mailing lists, but more importantly, it tells you how many people are on the list, how many people ordered in the last 90 days, and then what's called the hotline or how many of those people in that last 90 days there are and how much they spent. So instead of guessing, I was literally just going through a category at a time, writing down uh, the numbers on a yellow pad, totaling them up and figuring out, okay, how big are these markets really? 
And then finally I got to the, the financial, literally F. When I got to F, it was in the financial. And I found that there, were, there was a billion and a half dollars spent on financial newsletters every 90 days. And that's the light bulb went off. And I thought, well, okay, I know this arena. There's actually money here. So that was the trigger. It wasn't just like, I've got experience. And I think, you know, people are going to buy newsletters. It's that I had an objective measure of it. Now, of course, I, somebody listening to this is going to say, well, yeah, duh, Maseo. I mean, anybody could have known that. And my, if, if somebody's thinking that, that is exactly what I was referring to before. If you ever have that, well, yeah, duh, everybody knows that. There's danger in there. Because if I'd have just gone into and say, oh, everybody knows that financial newsletters are popular, maybe I would have started a, a stock trading or an options trading. Instead, I because I discovered this organically, I then went in with my trader mindset and I said, okay, where's the trend? So I went out of that general look and then I went out into the marketplace. I started looking at what advertising is there? Uh, you know, where, where are people spending their money? And it turned out it was in the, the Forex arena. Now, right around that time, um, trading was, uh, Forex trading or currency trading was getting out of the institutional world into the retail world. Uh, and of course, I didn't completely cut ties with, with trading while I was a minister. I was still consulting and you know, helping people with their trading desks and, and, and whatnot. Uh, I did have a couple of, of traders that I was working with to provide analysis, uh, you know, specific trade analysis. Um, so anyway, the, the punchline is I didn't go in with, because I didn't go in with a specific idea, I was able to get the objective data so, okay, wow, there's a lot of money there. But then I could back away and say, okay, well, where's the trend? So wh what do I look for in a trend? I want to be as close as possible to the newness of it. Right? So as a trader, you want to you get in before what we call the herd or the crowd gets in. The reason why, and I know a lot of this is going to sound horrible, but it's just this is just the way it works. So the the way I was trained was to look for the so-called smart money because the smart money generally knows how to manipulate the market to get their position. And then they put people on the news and get articles written so that the public wants to buy. That's it in a nutshell. And so that thinking is, okay, what's out there in the world that's just new? Now, from a marketing perspective, the reason why it's important is because people don't have beliefs and they don't have opinions about it. See, when, it, when you start thinking holistically about your business, um, if you tried to start a Facebook today, people have a preconceived idea of what that is. They have certain beliefs about what it should look like and how many people should be on it. So it's just gonna be harder to sell them. Um, same thing applies in the marketplace. The shocking thing is, yes, I was a trader, but I also understood sales because I understood how to get somebody to buy stuff, right? You're literally buying and selling uh, two or 300 times a day sometimes. So when I looked at the, at the financial world, I saw that Forex was in this early stage. Um, I, I had seen it happen before with options trading. So in the early 90s, options were getting into the public view. Uh, and then getting into the year 2000, like the public was very aware of options trading. Um, and so that, fortunately that experience was there. I was like, oh man, there were a lot of people that, that made money selling courses and things like that in options trading. So I settled on the Forex because of all of those reasons. 
so the last $5,000, I bought a plane ticket uh, to a marketing conference. Of course, that makes total sense, right? I'm going to get into trading. So why did I go there? Well, because I also knew, uh, just like a trader, I'm going to need distribution. I'm going to need, I'm going to need somebody to to buy at a higher price. So what traders understand, no matter how much money you have, you need another buyer and another one and another one and another one to drive price to the point where you can sell at a profit. And if you're if you're a big enough trader, your selling is going to have an impact and it's going to slow buying because people are going to look around and say, "Whoa, you know, why is why is all this volume coming on the market?" So the direct corollary to business is when something is new, there's less competition. As the trend gets older, there's more competition. So you're you're combining people's preconceived beliefs and opinions with a multitude of choices, right? So I, Forex didn't have any of that, right? Options trading was you know 10, 15 years old. Stock trading is old as the hills. And I thought, let me go in here. Uh, I've got experience. I've got connections. I know how to trade the Forex. Uh, so I can come in with my experience, uh, whereas more, there aren't enough people that have been in Forex that are going to be able to compete with me as that as their main component. And that the rest, as they say, you know, is history. That first year, um, you know, we, we did about 400,000 in total sales. The next year uh, was a couple million. Then year three was 26 million and you know, it never, it never slowed down from there. But here's what I want to want to make really clear. First of all, from my perspective, you know, the, that's, that was my proof I was looking for from the Lord. Right. Um, but we'll, I'll make it more agnostic than that. So how exactly then do you get hockey stick growth? It, it's really very simple. You need to have a trend. First of all, you need to be early enough in that trend so that your customers don't have a yardstick to directly compare you to. So Facebook, when it launched, there was no real yardstick. Yes, there was MySpace, but you have to remember Facebook launched basically as hot or not, right? It was something for college students to compare whether somebody was good looking or not. Then it, it morphed into, uh, you know, sort of this, this social thing for specific universities. So remember that it wasn't this huge nationwide trend. It was Harvard. Then it was the Ivy League, and it became this thing where just be, just because it was in the Ivy League, other people wanted to jump on it. But the real trend that we're talking about here is this interconnectedness of computers. Right, so you have to remember when we transitioned from a dial-up, where you have to dial in, to an always-on computer, this is not a small thing. The customer's experience of the product is different. Because if I had to sit here and I've got to dial in and, and it didn't always connect the first time, you know, you get the, grr, 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 and then you'd wait. And what are you waiting for? Well, whether or not it disconnects, it's like, crap. So then you got to dial in again. So you, it may take you four or five minutes to actually even get quote unquote online. So then fast forward to always on internet. This is not a small thing. All, where was always on internet? On the university campuses. So that always on trend whether Zuckerberg knew that, you know, that always on trend was a component, I don't know. But that was certainly a big piece of what made Facebook possible. So when you're, when you're trying to bottle, you know, we're trying to get lightning in a bottle. These are the, the big pieces, right? Um, then you've also got to have a large addressable market. 
Um, you know, I was going into a market that had a billion and a half spent every 90 days, which meant the total market was obviously bigger than that. Um, you, then you've got to have a total addressable market that makes sense for your narrow slice of a business. Because remember, Forex was not mainstream. The average Mr. and Mrs. America was not going to jump into that. I needed those early adopters, which is why I focused on that hotline. I figured that the hotline means these are people that are willing to try something new. And so one of the things to remember is, yes, your total addressable market may be 20 million, but then you've got to whittle that down to think about, okay, now, today, how many people are willing to take a chance on my new gizmo? And so when you, when you massage all those things, that's when you can get in front of that potential hockey stick growth. In fact, you know, you can go, if you Google Bill Gross, uh, he's an American venture capitalist. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of play because it's not sexy, but if you, if you listen to him, uh, you know, he, and he breaks down what has made his, his investment successful. Now they'll call it timing, uh, which we're saying the same thing. We're just using different words. I'm using more of a, a trader term, which is trend, but timing is everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's just, you, we talked about to get the hockey stick growth, you need to get the trend. So what do you see as some of the future trends in the world of business? Well, certainly healthcare, uh, you know, so I've got two projects I'm working on now. Uh, one is in healthcare, the other is in uh, media. Uh, so healthcare is going to be driven by the demographic trends. In 2030, all of the baby boomers are going to be over 70 years old, which means they, they're going to need part-time or, or full-time care. Um, the vast majority of those customers want to age in the home, which means then the, the biggest opportunity is going to be in home healthcare. And so that's uh, that's my Connexia company is in, in home healthcare. Uh, you know, the, the next, the next big trend is in, um, you know, we'll call it interconnectedness, uh, in the sense of, you know, I've got an iPad sitting on my desk. I've got my computer, I've got my phone, but then I've got my car, I've got, uh, my coffee maker. You know, so it's, it's that becoming more normal for people and then understanding again, from a customer perspective, what, what do they want to do? Uh, so I, I think Amazon Alexa uh, and the Alexa skills are probably the closest thing to that. Uh, so the area of focus that I'm most interested in is voice. Well, because if, if you think about human beings, if my hands are engaged, right? So if I'm cooking and my hands are all mucked up with you know chicken, do I really want to grab my iPad? No, I don't. Right? I want to be able to say something. Uh-oh, my power's flickering. Hopefully, hopefully we stay on. Um, so if, if I need, like, if I need to check a recipe or, you know, if I need something, I'm going to use my voice. And so if you think about technology, not for technology's sake, but again, always starting with your customer, what is their actual life like? And not what you think their life is like. What, what drives me nuts is listening to a bunch of coders who've never, like they've never left their lair, uh, for the last three months speculating about what somebody in middle America is going to be doing or not doing. So it always comes back to that. Understand the way your customer interacts, not just with your device, but with the world. Right? So it's outcome oriented. What do they want to do? And more importantly, what do they want to do at a specific time? Right, so let's, I'll, I'll jump off from this with my newsletter. 
So with, with a, a make money offer, what you're dealing with time-wise is somebody that's either at a major setback in their life or they're looking forward in their journey. You rarely get people out of those extremes. Uh, the people that are looking forward are certainly far less, um, less common. Most of the time, you've gotten somebody that's had a shock, lost a job, had a business go bankrupt, something like that, and they're looking to make up for, for lost time. Sure. Uh, you know, so that's, that's in the, just in the make money kind of business. Um, if, you're, if you're thinking about a device, it's typically an outcome in the world, right? So I, I bought an iPad Pro because I've got 9 million notepads in my closet. And unless I go through every single one, there's no way to index or archive them. So what's the outcome I want? Is it that I really want an iPad and Apple Pencil? No, I really don't. What I want is because of, um, I had a photographic memory as a child. I had a, a traumatic brain injury. And so it's kind of weird. Um, it, it's not a full photographic memory. So I can remember like what the page looks like, but I can't remember like which notebook and where it is. So for me, it's about the search. So where, where's the correlator to that? Slack. People forget Slack entered the market when there was, I don't even know, probably 10 or 12 main competitors. Skype, of course, had been around, but there was Hall as, as its like next major competitor. Uh, and there were several others. What Slack got right was the search. Right? So what they figured out is, yes, as people are chatting in a business setting, what they want is to be able to go back and find what they were talking about. With Skype, even today is horrible at that. And so that's what Slack did. Once they figured that out, because uh, I was actually building a competitor to Slack, once I saw them figure that out, I was like, guys, we're, we're toast. Like, unless we get specifically a search function and all the other stuff, like the image capability, video, all the stuff uh, my co-founders were trying to go for at the time was total nonsense. I'm like, we have got to nail search and if we nail search, we'll get everything else. And this goes back to having somebody with experience that knows you know, when to, to focus and when not. My co-founders are like, no, 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 no. We, again, we think what people want is images. So, well, how do you know that? Is that what our users are telling us? Well, no, but why wouldn't they? Right, so th these are the language patterns to, to listen for when you know you're on the wrong track. So it's, if you think about the day in the life, are you, let's say you were at work, we're talking, we're, you know, clickety, 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 going back and forth in chat, we're ideating, we're brainstorming, you know, or maybe posting even some images. Most people don't have photographic memories. Like they're not going to be able to remember like I can, or, or even better, somebody with a true photographic memory. They're going to be totally lost. Their memory is actually going to rewrite what you talked about based on their side of the conversation. Hence, the search. So the, the trend was definitely to chat platforms. But if you look at it in the wrong way, in the sense of, yes, it was people wanted the instant messaging, but without that component of search, which by the way, nobody else focused on, you're not going to get the adoption. Now, very quickly, they got into other things because you know, when you get NASA and, and hospital changing, when you start to get larger and larger customers, you can do use cases and you can dig in and figure out, okay, NASA is looking for security. Like, you know, they, cause they've got silos, 
know, maybe somebody's got a top secret clearance and other people only have a confidential security clearance. Well, you'd better have a silo there where, you know, confidential security clearance doesn't even know that channel exists. Well, when, when you look at their functionality, like the reason why their channels were invisible was because they built that functionality for NASA. Now, right. later on, you, you could see all of the channels and you could enable it and disable it. But the, the, when you see it as a consumer, when you create a channel that you have to enable it for people, understanding the reason why also can help, especially if you're in a technology-enabled startup, because when you start to get into features, you've got to think about what is this feature in your business going to do and for how many people today and then how many people down the road. And that doesn't necessarily just apply to technology. So again, back to the trends. It's, it's understanding now that we've got always on internet on our, our desktops, we've got always on internet on our phones. That's, I think, the, truly the next big trend is you, you've, you now have no lag in the sense that, you know, if, if you're on your phone, uh, you know, even five or six years ago, your internet is going to be spotty. It's like, no, man, my, my data, if you're on Verizon, AT&T, uh, especially, you're the two big carriers. It's like basically everywhere you go, you've got good internet on your phone. Um, and so now, now you can get into specific use cases, right? Are you going to be a company that capitalizes on what I call uh, crapper time, right? Which means, okay, somebody's going to the bathroom. <laughs> they want to do something for a few seconds, right? That's Candy Crush. That's those kinds of apps. Um, are you, you know, doing something that's going to enable somebody if let's say I'm going out, right. And I want to go somewhere, are you going to enable the wide world? And so that's going to be another factor. You know, is it a search? Are you connecting different things like restaurants? Uh, are you providing some sort of mechanism for people to meet? It's again, it's understanding that the, the trend isn't necessarily what you think. Uh, the trend is the energy that's going into the system, not the system itself. So I'll, I'll flash the trend back to... is the energy going into the system, not the system itself. Yes, right. Um, and so if you look at, at trading and you, uh, if you look at an instrument moving in one direction or the other, it's not what we would call, you know, sort of typical range bound uh, price. What you have going into that can only be described as energy because you have physical energy, even if I'm just tapping my button, right? Uh, or tapping my mouse. You've also got thought energy, right? Because I've got to think about what I'm doing and then I've got to direct my body to click on that. Uh, but you've also got intention, right? People don't buy something just to have it sit there. They're intending to sell at a profit. So no matter how you slice it, you're dealing with energy. Our brains are an energetic lattice, let's say. Um, and I, I, now I'm like drawing on some of my, my physics roots, obviously. So one of the things I started studying was um, the, the markets in the sense of what does it take to energize the human brain and what kind of time do I get out of that energizing? Uh, because you could have a trend that plays out over 50 seconds. You could have a trend that plays out over an hour, a week, a month, et cetera. And so what I found is the more energy that was in uh, a trend, the longer it, it would last. Um, but the energy doesn't, you know, it's not like a laser where it's always on. Um, it's, it's intermittent, right? So it's on, off, on, off, on, off, and it can change. Um, 
you know, meaning in the early, uh, in an early price move, it's the newness of it. It's uh, unbridled expectations. It's the, you know, potential for uh, an outsized gain, right? So, you know, sort of reaping this, this big reward. As the trend wears on, unless you get another big input of energy, right? We're dealing with entropy, right? It's just the, the way our universe is, it's just thermodynamics. And so the trend will move. You've got all this great energy. Everybody thinks the future is bright and shiny and then it dies off. It's uh, the, the best example of this is a scene out of a movie called Rounders. And so the, the two buddies are going to go on this road trip to Las Vegas. They're driving from LA to Las Vegas. And they start out, it's like, woo, Vegas road trip. They're all excited. And they fast forward to like the middle of the trip. <laughs> you know, it, so when you, as you're thinking about the trend and you put it into these terms, think about what's, what kind of energy are we seeing? Is this new energy? You know, in other words, is this something that's brand new, like the iPhone when it was brand new? And I would say tr like objectively new, the iPhone objectively was brand new. Um, you know, not objectively like the, you know, the Samsung's got a new phone, you know, the, their new phones coming out all the time, but they're not objectively new, um, but they've got a new camera, right? And so that's an example of exactly what I'm talking about. These manufacturers thinking, okay, if we add a, you know, 15 cameras to the back of this thing, is that enough energy to get people buying a new phone? Is it bigger size? Is it this? Is it that? And so the challenge that we have when we're thinking about trends, when you look at a late stage company like an Amazon or, or an Apple, they're doing stuff with a trend that is so far removed from the back in the day where, where Steve Jobs literally picked up his phone, you know, and did this with it, right? He, he moved it from horizontal to vertical. Um, and that was, whoa, that was groundbreaking because why? We had flip phones and, you know, the, just the brick phones. As entrepreneurs, we, we've got to be able to um, synergize this. That's a really bad word. I was thinking more uh, holistic. We got to think more holistically about these things. So it's not any one feature other than the presence of the trend that's gonna make the difference. However, as you're thinking about this, you've gotta be careful in looking for examples that are too mature, right? So trying to take something from an Apple today or an Amazon today is not going to be as fruitful as going and looking at you know, a company that's, uh, you know, we'll call it maybe pre-IPO or, or something like that. You know, you've got to find a company that is still in that period of, yes, there's a new trend, but as the trend wears on, you've got people that went from woo road trip to, you know, sitting back like dead fish. Then you've got other people coming into the trend that are, you know, looking at the people that are dead fish, like, I don't know why you guys aren't excited. This is really great. And then as it goes on even further, you've got people that are saying, ah, you know, okay, let's check it out. They're just more tepid. So the, in, the, in trading, the, the way we would manipulate, the, well, let me not get into that. In trading, we would have to manipulate the market in very specific ways to get the trend re-energized, but we're also looking for it not working, right? So that, what, what I was trained to do was to understand that, yes, it is possible to manipulate the market. And if you've got enough money, you can do that on a grand scale, um, but it may not work. Right? So if it doesn't work, that's where you've got to cut your losses and move on. And so the capstone of all of this is entrepreneurs have 
too much dogged determination, right? So what you've got to look for as an entrepreneur are objective milestones, KPIs, key performance indicators that will tell you unequivocally to stop. There, look, there's, there's no honor in spending your last dollar. There's no honor in running your you know, financial future into the ground to save a good idea. Can we find in the grand scheme of things, a few isolated cases where that worked? Absolutely. But if you look at the tens of millions of businesses and you hold against that massive group, even 10,000 or 100,000 businesses where the owners you know, stuck to it and wrote it out, those odds are horrible. Just do the division, you know, divide 10 million into 100,000 or even a million. You're still just, you're one out of 10. And 10% uh, is, is not a, a good odds. And so the, as you're, whether you're a startup, your growth or your scaling, if you endeavor to find these objective KPIs that tell you when you're on track, off track, uh, you'll, you'll find it less likely to go so far down the road that you've dug a hole you can't get out of. Uh, you know, so again, taking from the world of trading, it's figuring yeah. out, okay, what is my risk and when am I willing to pull that risk off the table? Yeah. So a trend there very much in um, the connectivity and also aging population, the demographics of that home healthcare and then connected home healthcare. So you've joined those two mm -hmm. um, existing or trends together to, in one of your businesses. Yes. Uh, what are the trends do you see? You know, once I get a couple, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm monogamous. I'll put it that way. I like to, <laughs> you know, I, again, learn that from trading. It's, you know, the, the guys that I saw, uh, well, actually, let me say it a different way. You've, you've either got to be so-called monogamous, you know, and have a, a one idea that you're focusing on, or you've got to go all the way to the other end where you're, you're dealing with 60 or 100 non-correlated ideas. It is, you know, again, we're, we're, we're smacked, we're ping-ponging from high trade openness, you know, over to the low trade openness. So the, the liberal-minded person, the startup entrepreneur, you know, they're going to, they want massive ideas. You know, they want to go after 50 or 60 trends. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't personally do well on that. So I've got two. <laughs> now, let, now let, let, me, um, let me also say part of that, and, and this is going to be horrific to, to people that are high on trade openness. There just aren't that many true large trends going on. And so if, to use a, a, a word from the markets, Macro trends, you know, these trends that, that go across lots of different industries really are rare. Um, you know, the computers were one, cell phones were another. Now, there are subtrends in there, right? You could say the app store and the rise of apps was, was a trend. Yes, and it was riding on the back of cell phones and more importantly, uh, riding on the back of ubiquitous or everywhere connectivity. Um, I just want to go back to so, your point about energy behind the trend. And I want yes. to talk about a lot of people can jump onto a trend. So um, there are many people have jumped into the space of healthcare as an industry. It's, it's big for Apple, for example. You know, we mentioned Apple a few times. It's a massive area of uh, a positioning, strategic positioning for them and growth for them. Um, and then tr 
I, I've got your website up here. So, uh, you know, healthcare in your home, um, again, is, is a big trend that others have jumped onto. How do you know whether there's still enough energy in that wave, there's still enough, or it's been, you know, I've mixed my metaphors here, but diluted by too much, too many other people's jumping in, too many other providers jumping into a space? That's, that's actually a really, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, you know, so of course, we're all use a, I like to use the analogies and stories, right? So if you think about multitasking, if you ask somebody, uh, generally, especially if they're high trade openness, they're going to say, oh, I'm, I'm a great multitasker. But then if you objectively measure it, what you'll find out is they're really a, a pretty shite multitasker, right? They mm. just, they do one thing horribly and then another thing horribly. And as the, the numbers of things increase, like the, the, the effectiveness of all of them drop and the effectiveness of each individual uh, task drops. Okay. Um, the reason why I went to that single example is we, we like to think as systems grow that they're somehow different. The reason why they're not has to do with uh, a mathematical concept called fractals. Fractals. So, so a fractal, simply put, is something that if you look at it zoomed out, is going to look nearly identical no matter how far you zoom in. So you can look at something from 10,000 miles away and you're gonna see a geometric pattern, right? it's gonna look a certain way. And then if you zoomed into one inch, it would look the same. That's a true mathematical fractal. Now, of course, humans and life in general is not perfectly mathematical, much to my, my uh, MIT brethren's chagrin, they would love it if, if you know, humans would uh, kind of fall in line with math, but they don't. So it's tough in business, right? Because we don't have a direct measure of price. It's fairly easy when you're talking about stocks or something publicly traded, because you can actually see on a graph whether or not this energy is being depleted, right? It, it's momentum. One good way to look at it is Google Trends. That's trends.google.com type in a keyword or, you know, a major product category, and they'll actually graph it for you. And so you've got a proxy at least. And so they're looking at, you know, search engine traffic. Uh, how many times are there press releases? You know what I mean? They, they gather in a lot of data and then come up with some sort of measure. Uh, you know, I, I like it because uh, I, I somewhat understand the methodology uh, behind the tool. That's a really good way to, to gauge that. Um, Otherwise, the only way you can do it is, um, the, the best that I found, is to think about it like a trader would, right? So it would be, um, you know, let's say we're, we're going to make these little cases. I've got a, a SD card case on my desk. We're going to say, okay, we've got to make these cases. We figure everything out. How much is the die going to cost and the plastics and blah, blah, blah. We figure out what is our cost to produce the thing. Well, then we've got to figure, okay, how much money are we going to put into that? And then how much expected to return are we going to get? Coming from the trading world, I know if I risk $1 and I make $3, it's almost impossible for me to go broke. So that's my basic metric that I talk with entrepreneurs about. Now, remember, no entrepreneurs think this way. So this is, this is something completely new. So the, the way, though, that you can test it is to figure all that out. How much is my product going to cost? What's my operational cost or fraction thereof to run that product? And then how much am I going to spend on marketing? That's your total cost. Um, you know, think about your, your acquisition cost for a customer. That's your first guess. 
And then as you market, this is the beauty of the digital platforms. And this, this gets really close to some of my secret sauce. So I'm gonna tread very lightly here because I like to keep some things proprietary. But one of the beautiful things about the pay-per-click engines is they act very much like the markets do. A quick and dirty way to look at this is start off with a dollar bid. And I don't care what Google or Facebook is telling you your bid should be. Start off with a dollar. If you're, if you're getting clicks for a significant reduction or discount on that, then you've probably got something there. Why do I say that? Well, we sometimes forget that Google and Facebook have no care for you. They don't care, care whether you succeed or fail. What they care about is how long you're on the platform giving them money. Yep. And we forget that these are computers, right? So Google makes up the bids. Facebook makes up the bids. This isn't like a true auction, like the stock market or the futures market, where you've got competitors bidding and literally deciding on the price. You have someone else telling you what the price is. Now that's a benefit for us because you know if they lower, if they don't take your dollar, what that computer is telling you is that it's very likely that if you let them have more dollar in the budget, right? So you've got how much you pay per click and then you've got your total budget. As you could tell Google, I'm gonna spend $20 a day and I'm gonna bid a dollar. Well, they know now that's like 20 clicks. Like what, we're not gonna make any money on that. But if their computer knows, hold on a minute, there are a lot of people that are in the market for this product. Uh, you know, they've looked, their computers looked at your page and it fits their, you know, model of what's going to convert. Because PS, they know, you know, they've got it pretty well dialed in by now. What they're gonna tell you is, well, we'll only take 50 cents. Why? Because they want you to, to move from 20 bucks to 20,000 bucks, right? So they're smart enough to know that it's spend over time that makes mm. sense, not mm. spend today. Mm. And so when you get that about all of these, these pay-per-click engines, you can use it for just quick and dirty research. Now, of course, there's like 10 million people saying, you know, poking holes in that. I'm not saying that this is like the grand unifying theory of, of uh, you know, physics. I'm just saying, can you get a quick and dirty feel for whether or not something is going to work. Now, if you really want to, uh, you know, make this effective for your business, you're instead of putting all that money into the little case and doing all that work first, you're going to do something uh, that us direct response marketers have done for years, which is called dry testing. Mm -hmm. You're going to make this. You're going to make the page. You know, get a 3D rendering of the product, and you're going to put it out. And you're going to do all this before you spend all all that crazy money on the product. That's really the best way to to do all this. Um, and so then that's going to give you your, your initial information. So then you very simply, you pick a ratio or not a ratio, you pick a percentage, 10%, 15%. You don't want to get too crazy and raise your budget because then what you're telling the platform is, Hey, I see that you've told me that there might be some money to be made here. Let me give you more of my money to see if you get me more of what I want. Right, so that's where you, know, the, you and the platform now are working together. You're expanding your budget, which now what, what Google or Facebook can, can look at is say, all right, we've got this person that's gonna to appeal to X number of people versus all the other competitors, right? There are people that are actively bidding on everything nowadays. And so they're weighing you against the competition. 
they're they're deciding how fast you raise your budget, whether or not you're going to make a good customer for, customer for them, or whether they should penalize you to just again take more of your money faster. Um, and so as you as you're ratcheting up your budget, you're going to figure out through uh, feedback with the pay per click engine and your customer together whether or not there's opportunity. Now the capstone of all this, if you will, is you never know whether or not the attention or the energy is getting bled out quickly or slowly. So let's talk about some of the things that can, can bleed it out. Um, before we had massive numbers of information outlets, this was actually a lot more difficult, right? Because you tuned into a, a major news outlet, CNBC, Fox, a newspaper or a magazine. So the, the literal drain on the energy is drain on energy. Are they seeing articles everywhere? Um, are there 57 competitors in their newsfeed on Facebook? If you go online, are there you know, 27 different ads that are all saying uh, you know, varying levels of hype related? Um, so the drain on somebody's energy is going to be relative to their idea of the opportunity to your particular offering. So another way to think about this is, uh, and Tony Robbins is famous for this. He doesn't use this analogy so much anymore. Uh, but years ago, they did studies with Reese's monkeys and they moved their fingers mechanically over and over. And they found that their brains literally had uh, a denser connection uh, where the finger was, even when the monkey was not doing it consciously. In your, so your brain wants to optimize that pathway. When you create something in your, in your prospect's mind, you're literally creating a structure and they have got to put energy into that structure to keep it alive. Otherwise entropy kicks in, their, you know, their need to put attention on other things kick in. So you've not only got entropy, like the universe itself is working against you, but then their, their world and their attention is working against you. So when competition comes in making bigger and bolder claims, that's going to draw energy away. Why? Because there's literally your energetic structure in their brain next to your competitor's energetic structure. And if, you're, if your competition is better equipped to tap into their emotions, then that person's biology is naturally going to create more energy around your competitor. That's a very specific drain. Um, and there was a lot packed into that, by the way. Um, another drain is just you know, what's going on in the world, right? So America just went through like the craziest election in our entire history. And I, I don't think anybody would argue about that. Yeah, Politics sure. aside. That's for sure. Politics aside, having something like that major going on is going to draw away from the energetic structure in their brain associated with your stuff. And so when, when you think about individuals that way, in a sense of humans are limited, like nobody on the planet has unlimited anything, whether it's endurance, it's the ability to make decisions, the ability to focus our eyeballs on something. We have been designed with circuit breakers, right? So I'm a competitive uh, athlete. And one of the things that we've discovered is as you, as you exercise more, there's an enzyme your body produces to literally stop you which is why it's so hard to exercise yourself into exhaustion, 
I've come super close. Uh, but you know, it's really, really difficult. Like your body will shut down. So when you're thinking about your customers, you've got to understand what are they exposed to? Like when they're in their daily world, what's in their newsfeed, what's on their Google search, what's popping up on their phone, all of those things are going to be a drain. And so then what you've got to do is to design now. Okay. I'll keep going. Cause this is usually something I, I, I don't talk about unless I'm, you know, in, in a, uh, I'll just say it in a paid environment. So what you've got to be able to do is to engineer very short timelines where you, you are injecting energy into somebody's world, right? In the form of claims, these would be benefits, uh, emotional appeals. Like I'm getting you like the nitty gritty of marketing. That energy has got to be outcome directed. So an opt-in um, and I, n- definitely not a like, not a subscribe. You need an opt-in. Uh, you need a registration for a webinar. You need something where they're expecting a future thing coming back to them. That's very, very critical. Once you get that initial energy, what you're, what you're toying with in testing is what content, what emails, what Facebook posts, keep that energy going. In other words, how can you focus them on you and get them excluding other people? Like, I don't even want to see that other stuff. Tony Robbins is really good at this. Uh, you know, he, he will build into his message, you know, look, you know, just shut off, shut all your stuff off, you know, join me in this, you know, in this webinar, we're just going to focus on you. You know, what's he doing? He's literally training people to get out of their newsfeed and only focus on him. So you've got to engineer that in a 10 to 12 day period. Uh, if you want to get data on this, look for the ZMOT study. It's Z-M-O-T. Oh, yeah, the Google one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Z- yeah, Zed, shout, shout out to my UK buddies. Uh, Mike, Oscar, Tango, ZMOT. Uh, it's, it's an older study, uh, but the reason why they haven't done anything, you know, really else on it is because it's pivotal. Like it really does describe what are people's habits and processes when they're looking for information. Um and it basically falls into a 10 or 12 day window. Um, there are, there's a, a wide continuum, right? You, you've got a 10 to 12 day window when somebody is first looking for information on a product. You've got a, a potentially a wide gap when they don't look at anything at all. And then you've got a, uh, so if you were gauging like the, the energy, it would look like, I don't know if we're going to be on video, but it's going to be really big in the beginning. And then it's going to be really small in the end, but there's always two and they're always 10 to 12 day windows. Here's the good news. If somebody is looking for a solution, it's nearly impossible to inundate them. Now, why do I say that? Because I've tested it. I've tested it across about 30 different verticals at this point, maybe more. The highest I was able to get, now I'll test anything. And so I'll I'll use this in the sense of a client or somebody who's not me. The highest I was able to get somebody to go was 16. It might've been 18. Uh, The page is fuzzy as I'm I'm recalling it um, in a single day. And we didn't bump unsubscribes. So that's one objective measure. Really? So 16 emails in a single day without a bump in unsubscribes. Now this is to a single cohort where we had, you know, the, like a registration and then for the next 10 days, it was this mass of information. 
Now, why would we do that? Well, because we wanted to see if we would, if we could up our, uh, like our show rate, because everybody knows if people register for a webinar, very few people actually show up. So I wanted to see, how do we move that needle? Could we just do it with, you know, claims, make really bold claims at the beginning and then not communicate with them? So we, we tested a wide variety of things. Hands down, the over-communication worked. Our no-show, our show rate went from 30 to 50%, uh, climbed up to about 80%. Um, the, the amazing thing, and to, to date, number one, very few people believe me, but nobody's actually come to me and said that they tested it. Here was, so this was my defining moment. I actually tested a three-day cycle of the same information. So that was eight emails uh, at the peak. So it was five and then it rose to eight and then dropped down. It didn't vary, it went to the same list. Revenue never dropped. Wow. In fact, for a short period of time, it actually wow. increased. Now, obviously, you know, going to the same, the same batch, it's gonna drop off over time. Um, but my point is, when you test this stuff, you'll find that when people are interested in something, it's really difficult for them to become uninterested. So what am I really saying? I'm saying they've got the energy structure in their mind. They have a preconceived notion about what they want, right? So they believe, like if I believed, uh, you know, hey, if, I, if I had this case and I could protect my SD cards, that's gonna make me a better photographer. Right. Because I've been out in the field, I've lost them, I've dropped them, you know, I'm on a shoot, I'm trying to find one and it falls out into a ditch. But if, if I only had a case, you know what? I could make so much more money. Their brain is already filtering stuff out that doesn't fit in with that. So you're literally giving them more of what they want. Right. So the ZMOT study, now this is total opinion. I believe the Zmont study led into the algorithms that we're seeing now on YouTube and Facebook, where they just give you more of what you want. Why? Because they want you on the platform. They want you there so they can throw more advertising at you. They don't care. They don't care about you or us or anything. They just want you there so they can sell, they can make more money. So if, if you even look at the way the algorithms are designed, they're designed to give us that that which we are interested in right now. Anyway, I was just, I just realized I was monologuing for a really long time there. I apologize. <laughs> you know, um, my interviews are usually about half an hour. <laughs> We've been going an hour and a half. Um, I know. I just, that's what I realized. I looked at the clock. Uh, it, Holy it, moly. It's... It, this is, you know, <laughs> become a masterclass, I think, with a range of topics so wonderfully diverse from physics to math to the military, the standards involved, to trading, to marketing, to persuasion, to online marketing and email marketing strategies. It's just phenomenal. So for any of you that are still listening that have stayed the course on this one, I hope I hope oh. the dendrites and the neuro connections are just <laughs> totally zinging because they are for me. And it, it um it's just phenomenal what what we've covered over over that period of time. Um, so, if anybody wants to reach out and and find out more about what you do and about your businesses, um, Maceo, how do they do that? Best best way is maceojordan.com. You know that's that's my main site, um, only because 
I, I love working with people, you know, and this is actually a, a good example of my compassion kicking in. You know, I, I was raised by a single mom. She worked three jobs to keep us out of the ghetto. Um, uh, she recently passed away. And so, you know, looking into her life, you know, I saw her social security benefits, which here in the States, you know, that's literally a record of how much money you've made over the years. And I got to tell you, Gavin, it's unbelievable what she was able to do on so little money. You know, and I looked at, you know, her, the modest amount that she was able to leave, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I mean, it was, it was, you know, just tear jerking at the time. Um, and so my perspective is this, and actually I, I took this on a long time ago, is given that amount of money, if I can't deliver something to somebody that's like my mom so that they can make it work with that little amount of money, then I have a moral obligation to not do anything. I, you know, I either I'll go be a welder if I can't do that, which obviously I'm indicting like virtually the entire make money, you know, online market, which I am deliberately. Um, but you know, this 90 minutes, uh, you know, is a byproduct of that. And it's also why I don't have, you know, PDFs and whatnot on my website. So definitely go to masseojordan.com. Um, you know, you can send me an email if you want. My Calendly link is there if you want to book some time with me. Obviously, you know, uh, I've got a, a definite compassionate streak in me. I'll, I will help where I can. But also say, you know, it's, it's, that's best for somebody who is willing to do something. Uh, I'll use a, a rather risque phrase. I'm not into the, you know, mental masturbation, just getting ideas out and, you know, talking and brainstorming. If somebody really wants to, to do some work, then I'm definitely here for them. You know, I help them you're really to the ends of the earth, whether that means I get equity or cash or not. Awesome. Masai, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on to the Business Mastermind Podcast. You're welcome, Gavin. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success, and create more impact.